Chapter 4, Part 4 of The American Language. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Austin Lim, www.austinlim.com. The American Language by H. L. Mencken. Chapter 4. American and English Today, Part 4, Euphemisms and Forbidden Words Euphemisms and Forbidden Words But such euphemisms as lady clerk are, after all, much rarer in English than in American usage. The Englishman seldom tries to gloss menial occupations with sonorous names. On the contrary, he seems to delight in keeping their menial character plain. He says, servants, not help. Even his railways and banks have servants. The chief trades union of the English railroad men is the Amalgamated Society of Railway Servants. He uses employee in place of clerk, workman, or laborer much less often than we do. True enough, he calls a boarder a paying guest, but that is probably because even a boarder may be a gentleman. Just as he avoids calling a fast train the limited, the flyer, or the cannonball, so he never calls an undertaker a funeral director or mortician, or a dentist a dental surgeon or ontologist, or an optician an optometrist, or a barber shop, he always makes it a barber's shop, a tonsorial parlor, or a common public house a cafe, a restaurant, an exchange, a buffet or a hotel, or a tradesman, a storekeeper, or a merchant, or a freshwater college, a university. Footnote. In the 60s, an undertaker was often called an embalming surgeon in America. End footnote. A university in England always means a collection of colleges. Footnote. In a list of American universities, I find the Christian of Canton, Missouri, with 125 students, the Lincoln of Pennsylvania, with 184, the Southwestern Presbyterian of Clarksville, Tennessee, with 86, and the Newton Theological, with 77. Most of these, of course, are merely country high schools. End footnote. He avoids displacing terms of a disparaging or disagreeable significance with others less brutal, or thought to be less brutal. Example given, ready-to-wear, or ready-tailored, for ready-made, used, or slightly used, for second-hand, mahoganized, for imitation mahogany, aisle-manager, for floor-walker, he makes it a shop-walker, loan-office, for pawn-shop. Also, he is careful not to use such words as rector, deacon, and baccalaureate in merely rhetorical senses. Footnote. The Reverend John C. Stevenson in the New York Sun, July 10, 1914. That empty courtesy of addressing every clergyman as doctor. And let us abolish the abuse of baccalaureate sermons for sermons before graduating classes of high school and the like. End footnote. When we come to words that, either intrinsically or by usage, are improper, a great many curious differences between English and American reveal themselves. 
the englishman on the whole is more plain-spoken than the american and such terms as bitch mare and in full do not commonly daunt him largely perhaps because of his greater familiarity with country life but he has a formidable index of his own and it includes such essentially harmless words as sick stomach bum and bug the english use of ill for sick i have already noticed and the reasons for the english avoidance of bum sick over there means nauseated and when an englishman says that he was sick he means that he vomited or as an american would say was sick at the stomach the older and still american usage however survives in various compounds sick list for example is official in the navy and sick leave is known in the army though it is more common to say of a soldier that he is invalided home sick room and sick bed are also in common use and sick flag is used in place of the american quarantine flag but an englishman hesitates to mention his stomach in the presence of ladies though he discourses freely about his liver to avoid the necessity he employs such euphemisms as little mary as for bug he restricts its use very rigidly to the cymax lectularius or the common bedbug and hence the word has a highly impolite connotation all other crawling things he calls insects an american of my acquaintance once greatly offended an english friend by using bug for insect the two were playing billiards one summer evening in the englishman's house and various flying things came through the window and alighted on the cloth the englishman essaying a shot remarked that he had killed a bug with his cue to the englishman this seemed a slanderous reflection upon the cleanliness of his house footnote edgar allan poe's the gold bug is called the golden beetle in england twenty-five years ago an englishman named buggy laboring under the odium attached to the name had it changed to norfolk howard a compound made up of the title and family name of the duke of norfolk the wits of london at once doubled his misery by adopting norfolk howard as a euphemism for bedbug and footnote the victorian era saw a great growth of absurd euphemisms in england including second wing for the leg of a fowl but it was in america that the thing was carried farthest bartlett hints that rooster came into place of cock as a matter of delicacy the latter word having acquired an indecent significance and tells us that at one time even bull was banned as too vulgar for refined ears in place of it the early purists used cow creature male cow and even gentleman cow footnote a recent example of the use of male cow was quoted in the journal of the american medical association november seventeenth nineteen seventeen advertising page twenty four and footnote bitch ram buck and sow went the same way as there was a day when even mare was prohibited bocce tells us that pissmeyer was also banned antmeyer being substituted for it in eighteen forty seven the word chair was actually barred out and seat was adopted in its place footnote new york organ a family journal devoted to temperance 
Morality, Education, and General Literature, May 29, 1847. One of the editors of this delicate journal was T.S. Arthur, author of Ten Nights in a Barroom. End footnote. These were the palmy days of euphemism. The delicate female was guarded from all knowledge, and even from all suspicion, of evil. To utter aloud in her presence the word shirt, says one historian, was an open insult. Mrs. Trollope, writing in 1832, tells of a young German gentleman of perfectly good manners, who offended one of the principal families by having pronounced the word corset before the ladies of it. The word woman, in those sensitive days, became a term of reproach, comparable to the German mensch. The uncouth female took its place. Footnote. Female, of course, was epidemic in England, too, but White says that it was not a Briticism, and so early as 1839, the legislature of Maryland expunged it from the title of a bill to protect the reputation of unmarried females, substituting women on the ground that female was an Americanism in that application. End footnote. In the same way the legs of the fair became limbs, and their breasts bosoms, and lady was substituted for wife. Stomach, under the ban in England, was transformed by some unfathomable magic into a euphemism denoting the whole region from the nipples to the pelvic arch. It was during this time that the newspapers invented such locutions as interesting or delicate condition, criminal operation, house of ill or questionable repute, disorderly house, sporting house, statutory offense, fallen woman, and criminal assault. Servant girls ceased to be seduced and began to be betrayed. Various French terms, enceinte and accouchement among them, were imported to conceal the fact that lawful wives occasionally became pregnant and had lyings in. White, between 1867 and 1870, launched various attacks upon these ludicrous gossamers of speech, and particularly upon enceinte limb and female but only female succumbed the passage of the notorious comstock postal act in eighteen seventy three greatly stimulated the search for euphemisms once that act was upon the statute books and comstock himself was given the amazingly inquisitorial powers of a post office inspector it became positively dangerous to print certain ancient and essentially decent english words to this day the effects of that old reign of terror are still visible. We yet use toilet and public comfort station in place of better terms, and such idiotic forms as red light district, disorderly house, blood poison, social evil, social disease, and white slave ostensibly conceal what every flapper is talking about. Footnote. The French pissoir, for instance, is still regarded as indecent in America, and is seldom used in England, but it has gone into most of the continental languages. It is curious to note, however, that these languages also have their pruderies. Most of them, for example, use WC, an abbreviation of the English water closet, as a euphemism. The whole subject of national pruderies, in both act and speech, remains to be investigated. End footnote. The word cadet 
having a foreign smack and an innocent native meaning is preferred to the more accurate procurer even prostitutes shrink from the forthright pimp and employ a characteristic american abbreviation pi a curious brother to sob and two o'clock nevertheless a movement toward honesty is getting on its legs the vice crusaders if they have accomplished nothing else have at least forced the newspapers to use the honest terms syphilis prostitute brothel and venereal disease albeit somewhat gingerly it is perhaps significant of the change going on that the new york evening post recently authorized its reporters to use streetwalker footnote even the springfield republican the last stronghold of puritan culture printed the word on october eleventh nineteen seventeen in a review of new adventures by michael monahan End footnote. but in certain quarters the change is viewed with alarm and curious traces of the old prudery still survive the department of health of new york city in april nineteen fourteen announced that its efforts to diminish venereal disease were much handicapped because in most newspaper offices the words syphilis and gonorrhea are still tabooed and without the use of these terms it is almost impossible to correctly state the problem the army medical corps in the early part of nineteen eighteen encountered the same difficulty most newspapers refused to print its bulletins regarding venereal disease in the army one of the newspaper trade journals thereupon sought the opinions of editors upon the subject and all of them save one declared against the use of the two words one editor put the blame upon the post office which still cherishes the comstock tradition another reported that at a recent conference of the scripps northwest league editors it was decided that the use of such terms as gonorrhea syphilis and even venereal diseases would not add to the tone of the papers and that the term vice diseases can be readily substituted the scripps papers are otherwise anything but distinguished for their tone but in this department they yield to the puritan habit an even more curious instance of prudery came to my notice in philadelphia several years ago a one-act play of mine the artist was presented at the little theatre there and during its run on february twenty sixth nineteen sixteen the public ledger reprinted some of the dialogue one of the characters in the piece is a virgin at every occurrence a change was made to a young girl apparently even virgin is still regarded as too frank for philadelphia footnote perhaps the quaker influence is to blame at all events philadelphia is the most pecksniffian of american cities and thus probably leads the world early in nineteen eighteen when a patriotic moving picture entitled to hell with the kaiser was sent on tour under government patronage the word hell was carefully toned down on the philadelphia billboards to h dash dash and footnote fifty years ago the very word decent was indecent in the south no respectable woman was supposed to have any notion of the difference between decent and indecent in their vocabularies of opprobrium and profanity english and americans diverge sharply the english rotter and blighter are practically unknown in america and there are various american equivalents that are never heard in england a guy 
in the American Vulgate simply signifies a man. There is not necessarily any disparaging significance. But in English, high or low, it means one who is making a spectacle of himself. The derivative verb to guy is unknown in English. Its nearest equivalent is to spoof, which is unknown in American. The average American, I believe, has a larger vocabulary of profanity than the average Englishman, and swears a good deal more. But he attempts an amelioration of many of his oaths by softening them to forms with no apparent meaning. Darn, dern, dern, for damn, is apparently of English origin, but it is heard ten thousand times in America to once in England. So is doggone. Such euphemistic written forms as damn fool and damn fino are also far more common in this country. All fired for hell fired, gee whiz for Jesus, tarnal for eternal, tarnation for damnation, cuss for curse, goldarned for goddamned, by gosh for by god, and great scot for great god are all Americanisms. Thornton had traced all fired to 1835, Tarnation to 1801, and Tarnal to 1790. By golly has been found in the English literature so early as 1843, but it probably originated in America. Down to the Civil War, it was the characteristic oath of the Negro slaves. Such terms as bonehead, pinhead, and boob have been invented, perhaps to take the place of the English ass, which has a flavor of impropriety in America on account of its identity and sound with the American pronunciation of arse. At an earlier day, ass was always differentiated by making it jackass. Another word that is improper in America, but not in England, is tart. To an Englishman, the word connotes sweetness, and so, if he be of the lower orders, he may apply it to his sweetheart. But, to the American, it signifies a prostitute, or, at all events, a woman of too ready an amiability. But the most curious disparity between the profane vocabulary of the two tongues is presented by bloody. This word is entirely without improper significance in America, but in England it is regarded as the vilest of indecencies. The sensation produced in London when George Bernard Shaw put it into the mouth of a woman character in his play, Pygmalion, will be remembered. The interest in the first English performance, said the New York Times, centered in the heroine's utterance of this banned word. It was waited for with trembling, heard shudderingly, and presumably, when the shock subsided, interest dwindled. But in New York, of course, it failed to cause any stir. Just why it is regarded as profane and indecent by the English is one of the mysteries of the language. The theory that it has some blasphemous reference to the blood of Christ is disputed by many etymologists. It came in during the latter half of the 17th century, and at the start it apparently meant no more than in the manner of a blood, i.e., a rich young roisterer of the time. Thus, bloody drunk was synonymous with as drunk as a lord. The adjective remained innocuous for two hundred years. Then it suddenly acquired its present abhorrent significance. It is regarded with such aversion by the English that even the lower orders often substitute bleeding as a euphemism. 
So far, no work devoted wholly to the improper terms of English and American has been published, but this lack may soon be remedied by a compilation made by a Chicago journalist. It is entitled The Slang of Venery and Its Analogues, and runs to two large volumes. A small edition, mimeographed for private circulation, was issued in 1916. I have examined this work and found it of great value. If the influence of Comstockery is sufficient to prevent its publication in the United States, as seems likely, it will be printed in Switzerland. End of chapter 4, part 4. Recording by Austin Lim, www.austinlim.com.